Hi, I'm Joseph McClendon III, and welcome to the Cure for the Common Life podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people and make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is activity, not action, activity. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you'll crush it. And I humbly offer you these tools and strategies to kick your own ass and make the changes so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single time that you can do to create a change in yourself. Life is exactly what you dare to make it and fortune favors the bold, baby. So if you're ready, let's bold. Hello again. Welcome. This is Joseph McClendon III, and welcome to The Cure for the Common Life, where, as promised, I'm always going to bring you cutting-edge tools, tips, strategies, and processes to help you go further, faster in your life so that you get to lead the uncommon life that we all seek. And I'm going to start off by saying today is certainly no different, but today is very, very special. My guest today is an amazing woman. And before I tell you a little bit about her, I want to tell you that the subject matter today might, and I say might, not necessarily be appropriate for those young, tender ears. So if you have impressionable youngsters around, you might want to send them out of the room or put some duct tape over their ears or maybe listen to this a little bit later. I'm making more of it than uh, is necessary, but you'll understand why here in a second. My guest today is amazing. She's sharp, she's frank, she's fearless, and she's known as the Buddhist psychologist and sex therapist. She's an author and speaker, Dr. Cheryl Frazier. She's highly successful and award-winning Fulbright author and scholar, and she's conducted extensive research on sexual behavior and what causes love relationships to succeed and or fail. She's a dynamic speaker, and she's taught for people like Tony Robbins, which is where I know her from, Jack Canfield, the list goes on and on there, and numerous podcasts and television shows. Dr. Cheryl is an amazing woman, and I could go on and on, but I won't. I'm going to leave some of that to come from her. Dr. Cheryl, there was a song back in the 80s, and of course, this is way, way, way before my time, done by... uh, uh-huh. Salt and pepper. Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, yeah. Now, fortunately, that's all you're going to get for the singing from me. But welcome to the show. What's Thank good? You. Thank you. And you're channeling my previous life there, Mr. Joseph, because Uh-oh. I did full time talk radio 15 hours a week about uh, 15 years ago. And that was my lead in song of the station. Oh, music. really? <laughs> when you say it, I'm like, in the zone, ready to deliver, instinct. So, so you knew where I was going before I even. I even oh, yeah, it. baby. Okay, great. So perfect, perfect. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you Thank for being you. on the show. And um, I have had the experience of uh, seeing some of your presentations and, and viewing some of your stuff, and you come highly recommended. What is good that you can share to help people cure the common life? I'm going to help them cure the common relationship, Uh, Joseph, because the term I like to use, and I sadly but accurately, probably most of our listeners that are in a relationship are going to relate to what I'm about to say. And those of you and us who are maybe single right now, I want you to apply this to your previous relationship. 
I call it marriage incorporated. That would be the common relationship. You're in a longer term relationship. And by that, I mean, really more than one or two years together, because all the research and biochemistry, we probably won't get into it right now, indicates that, you know, in the beginning, we're in lust, not love. We're biochemically driven to mate, to conquer and to join. Then we move into decorating the cave and raising cave babies and we're in complacency (laughs) and we end up whether you're gay or straight whether you're legally married common law i do not care if you love one person even if you're polyamorous and you love two people if you're attempting to have a great sexual romantic relationship what you will almost always end up in is what i nickname marriage incorporated what the heck is that that's where you're running your relationship like a business you're being really effective you know the kids are getting dropped up i'm canadian so i'm going to say to hockey uh (laughs) you're high-fiving each other on your way by as you take the kids here everybody's getting enough greens in their shakes in the morning the mortgage is getting paid and even a couple weeks of the year you go on vacation you're running things really well but where the heck are you and your love Mm -hmm. where the heck is your passion your sexuality you know i'm very fond of saying joseph it's so dang obvious but we forget that the one thing that sets our romantic erotic chosen relationship apart from every other relationship in our life is the naked part. Mm. You know, you and I can, and I suspect we may develop a really beautiful friendship where we may share hopes and dreams and ourselves the way we do with our important people in our life. But the naked part is what sets apart your romantic erotic relationship. When you're in marriage incorporated, chances are you're having very little or no sex. Can I bust a myth right now? Yes, please, please. Myth, myth, myth that the average North American is uh, in a longer term relationship, more than two years we'll go with today, is having sex twice a week. Absolutely. Bullpucky. I wish that were accurate. I would say, and we don't have accurate statistics on this. You're a researcher, you're a PhD, you understand. We have, you know, approximations based on self report. We won't go into that right now. And a lot of people lie about it. A lot of people lie about it. And a lot of people hang up when they get in the old telephone call saying, Are you willing to answer a few questions about your erotic life? Mm -hmm. They're like, No, go away, creepy person. No, so we because it's, just, it's uncomfortable, or is it because they they just, you know, it it, it violates their yeah, uncomfortable, intrusive, embarrassed. Mm-hmm. People don't like to talk about sex with the person they're having occasional sex with, mm-hmm. much less a stranger. But I would say, based on the couples I work with in my own online programs, in, in, in big events, elsewhere, I would say a long-term relationship average is closer to once every two weeks. Wow. The average of having sex, a sexless relationship, which is defined as less than four sexual encounters a year, is rampant and there's a lot of people listening right now that are extremely extremely relieved because the three most important words i ever teach as a sexual love relationship so-called expert just don't talk to my husband is three words you are normal Mm. you Mm. are normal i'm going to throw some research out there real quick because it's important to ground this in science Rosemary Bassan's a researcher here in Canada, and she her research indicates that the majority of long-term couples start making love from a place of sexual neutrality. Now, obvious next question, Dr. Cheryl, what does that mean? It means the couple starts making love when neither of them are remotely turned on or sexually aroused. They start making love because they've made a commitment, mm-hmm. like all of us listening do, to maybe our fitness or building our business numbers or spending quality time with our beautiful kids. We become intentional about the things that matter to us. If a longer term couple does not become intentional about sex, unless they're in the 5% that just are horny all the time, and that's a real anomaly, 
The rest need to schedule sex, make sex intentional, and decide they're going to start making love, even if they're like, I am so not in the mood. Me either, babe. I'm worried about our taxes, and uh, I'm kind of stinky. <laughs> well, go have a shower together. Make the choice to create an hour to spend erotic time together. Whether or not it culminates in intercourse and orgasm for both people is not actually the point. It's reminding ourselves that under the flannel and your old t-shirt and my bunny slippers, I'm a sensual being. And, and I can get it when I'm stuck in marriage incorporated. Can I ask a couple questions? First off, this is brilliant. Thank you. And I love that, that nakedness side of it. The first question is, you say more than two years constitutes that sweet spot, if you will. What is the duration of time that people go from being more sexually active to that once or twice a month? Again, I would say it depends on the age we get together. If we get to get together at 18 or 25, our longevity of, uh, you know, spontaneous arousal is the technical term, as opposed to responsive desire. Spontaneous is, you know, you walk in the door, we glance, we're like, oh, drop those pants, baby. You know, it's that lovely rush of lust. Responsive desire is there's my sweetheart. It's been, you know, a while since we've made love. I know it's going to feel great. Hey, baby, let's go hit the bedroom. That spontaneous rush of lust, you know, again, if, if we get together when we're in our teens or 20, we might have a fair bit of that for five or 10 years because we're biochemically mm -hmm. hardwired in our youth right. to meet more often. But if you're getting together like so many of us do for maybe our second, maybe marriage, et cetera, because a lot of us had that starter marriage back then. I don't have data on this, but I would say within six to 18 months, the urgency definitely drops like crazy because of the biochemical and psychological changes. And it is staggering, Joseph, how few people talk about this, even with each other. They might argue with each yeah. other about it, but they're not talking about it. What I take couples through when I work with them is kind of compassionate, radical honesty mm. around their sexuality. I had a couple in my program that I ran in February that's coming up again soon, who they were lovely. They were about 40 years old, actually from your, your neck of the woods and tremendous friends really enjoy each other, really cuddly, really sweet, have a great life. They had not made love in seven years and they were around 40 Whoa. years old. Whoa. When I had them work with me in a process I did, I asked them each and neither of them knew the answer to this question until I asked them. They were both with me on screen. Do they have a masturbation solo sexual life? And they both said yes, about twice a week. The woman started to cry and she started to cry because she was so freaking happy to hear that her husband, this happened to be a hetero couple, still had a sex drive. She assumed he had none. She was delighted to hear he masturbated twice a week because it meant there was absolute hope. She was more motivated than him, outwardly motivated than him to fix this problem. She's like, oh my goodness, babe, you, you do like sex still. He's like, I do. But he had erection worries. They'd had a couple failure experiences around sexuality and he had pulled within no self-confidence and was afraid to bring his sexual energy to her. Isn't it amazing that without the urging of me, that simple question of brave vulnerability I invited them mm -hmm. to, they might have never known. Absolutely. Their sex drives, which is also a myth, we may get to that, weren't broken. They needed to find a way to be vulnerable and take risks and to be willing to, you know, have epic fails, to quote my niece, right. so, so in the bedroom and then say, you know, have a laugh, have a high five and begin again. So the, the drive is still there. Are, are you saying that the drive is still there for most people or it just needs to be rekindled or maybe both? 
It really depends on the person and the couple. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly as we age, certainly post-menopause, hormonal changes, even what's called you know andropause for men, hormonal changes, drops in testosterone, cortisol interruption can lead to having very little sense of a spontaneous type of desire, as I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. conversation, that being, oh man, I'm turned on. You know, the heat, mm-hmm. the hardness, the wetness, the, gosh, I feel you know delighted, turned on, horny. But that's where we move into the need to to create circumstances to have the desire respond. I said off the cuff there, and thank you for picking it up. Sex drive, we'll talk about that in a moment. I'm going to blow another myth right now. Myth number two is, myth number one is everybody's having sex like rabbits except you. Myth (laughs) number two is there is no such thing as a sex drive, actually, biologically. You'll relate to this right away when when, when I mention it. Hunger is a drive. We need to eat. If we don't, we die. Thirst is a drive. We need to drink liquid. If we don't, we die. Sex is not an actual biological drive. If we don't have sex, we won't die, even though we might wish we could. So (laughs) it's different. And why does it matter? Are we splitting hairs? But you know the power of words. Exactly. You know the power of what we say to our mind and our subconscious mind. And when I say, you know, Joseph, I used to have a great sex drive and now I don't which would be an accurate statement of Dr. Cheryl's body these days on postmenopause. And I used to have a very active, easily aroused body. It was a beautiful gift, a beautiful joy. After menopause, that changed a lot. Now I need to cultivate being turned on. But where I'm wrong, and when I think of it as a sex drive, instead of realizing the normalcy, what are the big three most reassuring words in my business? You are normal. I love that, by the way. That is the normalcy. Thank you. The normalcy of me not being easily turned on isn't that my sex drive is broken. It's, oh, I have to interact with my sexual and erotic being in a new way. Hey, that's interesting. It becomes again back to can we make our erotic life intentional? Can we choose to make passion a priority is one of my phrases I use a lot. My program is called become passion. It's called become passion because most of us sit around and wait for passion to find us. You know, We sit around waiting to be swept up in the ocean of lust, which we used to so delightedly enjoy. And you know, when it occasionally happens that you're spontaneously lusty, enjoy the heck out as of it. Well, yeah. You know, it's about as rare as your 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 teenage son saying, Dad, I would love to clean the garage out today. <laughs> but should it happen, enjoy the heck out of it. But just don't count on it. Right there. Yeah, it ain't gonna be a regular thing. So we gotta create the conditions. We need to become the very passion we desire. I'm sure that idea resonates. Very strongly for you, because it's the work we share is people were responsible for our own destiny. You want a great freaking relationship? Become a great freaking partner. Become an extraordinary lover in all ways, emotionally, sexually. And yeah, get some tips to get you up up your game in terms of your moves as well. (laughs) Do you find that people may push back against the uh, concept of uh, intentional Yes. Sexuality, because they say it shouldn't be, it should be, it should be spontaneous. You know, and I don't want yeah. to have to schedule it. If I have to schedule it, then I'm not going to be turned on. And that, you know, seems like work. Do people push back against that? Oh, 100%. It's like they don't want to quit eating meat. They don't want to <laughs> you know, get up in the morning and do priming or intentions or whatever. They push back against moving from their place of complacency. And you are one smart guy because you horned right on it 
right in on the biggest complaint or the biggest, you know, blowback I get, which is, but Dr. Cheryl, scheduling sex isn't romantic. And I say, you know, it's not romantic, almost never having sex. And then when I can teach them some of what I'm laying down today around your normal, if your spontaneous desire has waned. You're normal if you need to start making love when you're not turned on. If you wait for your son to offer to clean out the garage, your garage may stay cluttered for a heck of a long time. You need to make it intentional. So I think it's the reassuring that there's nothing broken or wrong if you need to schedule sex, make love intentional. But that's where the myth of a sex drive gets in the way. If I love you, if our relationship's good, I should spontaneously lust for you all the time. It's, an, it's a myth and it's, it's incorrect myth. and it causes crap loads of damage. I can imagine it, 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 ego damage, especially for men. And I'm saying that being a man. <laughs> yeah, but, for yeah. sure. For sure. And uh, leading to affairs, to, the, to so easily being tempted by mm-hmm. the rush of lust that novelty brings. So a lot of my work is to help people create novelty again. I call it fall in love over and over nice. with the one you're already with. Nice. Now, does... The frequency of the planned or scheduled lovemaking make it more exciting. And I mean, I mean, and the reason I'm saying this, I'm, I'm a, su- a super believer in repetition is the mother of all skill, and, and it also builds, let's just say, pull and desire to do more of it. You know, if I go lift weights, then at first I don't like doing it, but then yeah. once I start doing it, I get those endorphins and so on and so forth, and I actually look forward to it. Does that same way work for keep wanting to say spontaneous, but I'm going to say uh, spontaneous scheduling? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not spontaneous at all. Deliberate scheduling, right? Intentionality. I would say it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, oh God, it's Monday night. It's sex night. But they're like, okay, I've made a connect, uh, you know, because they don't feel like it. They're they're tired and they'd rather watch Netflix as, you know, is the way of the world these days. But they say, but this is a commitment. Tell you what, Joseph, I go to the gym three days a week and work out with the torture monster called Simon. (laughs) Uh, You know, damn his eyes. Um, I never wake up. You might, because you're a freak of nature, my friend, but I never wake up going, I want to go see Simon and work out. I wake up going, oh, crap, I got to go see Simon. But hey, attitude adjustment. I know this is important. So I go to the gym because I know it's good for me because I've made it a priority and damn, I know I'm going to feel good afterward. So treat your scheduled sex like that. If you're someone who's not really looking forward to it, it's like, you know, I don't really feel like it, but I know it's going to be worth it. I know it brings us closer. Orgasms are awesome. Endorphins are fun. And I know I'm going to feel good afterward. Almost never does anyone say to me, after we had sex, I wish we hadn't. That's a different problem. We'll work on performance issues, orgasm issues, sexual pain issues, et cetera. So I wouldn't, I would love to say scheduling sex creates a sense of anticipation, desire, and fun. It does for some people. Let me give a tiny activity there. If you want, let's say Monday night is sex night. One of your scheduled date nights for eroticism, it can be like, oh, it's Monday. My favorite show's on. I'll have to watch it on PVR. <laughs> we got to have sex tonight. Yeah. Even though after you're like, oh, babe, I'm so glad we did that. Or you can send some sexy texts during the yeah, day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can say, baby, I can't wait tonight. We can get graphic and explicit. I'm going to be here just because let's keep it real. You can say, you know, baby, I can't wait to taste your hardness tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, baby, I can't wait to make you moan with crazed lust mm-hmm. tonight. Baby, I can't wait to, you know, F your brains out tonight. Whatever works. This is out of the comfort zone for some of us. But why? Why are we so afraid? And many of us are with the person we love 
We might be able to do this for a wild night with a stranger where our, our vulnerability is not as involved. But with the person we love, why are we so afraid to unleash and cultivate what I call dark sensual energy? And I mean dark there in terms of like yin and yang, the swirl yeah, yeah, of the light yeah. and the shadow. We need the light to, to, to illuminate the shadow. We need the shadow to help us really move into the light. In other words, can a couple, I'm going to drop an F-bomb coming up, can a couple make tender, beautiful, sweet, passionate love where I weep with the vulnerability of your spirit dancing with mine? And can we also, in another encounter, fuck each other like animals? Can we have our dark sexual energy, our taboo, our lust, our fantasy, can we integrate that with our light? Can we integrate our passionate taboo self with our loving, vulnerable, intimate self? I'd say this is one of the biggest lacks that modern couples have. We won't go into it in detail, but you can guess when we block that taboo off, when we repress it, it comes out sometimes pornography addiction, affair, going to a sex trade worker, et cetera, you know, celebrity and politicians and whatnot are the obvious ones because it comes out in the media that if we're not integrating lust and love, we're either repressing it and not experiencing it, which is not healthy, or we're repressing and sublimating it somewhere else that is arguably not healthy but very few couples will will join me in that dance to try to bring them together. That's advanced work for people, but it is extraordinary. Talk about life force. You know, you probably know, Joseph, but the word libido comes from the Latin and it actually means life force. Mm. How about we cultivate all aspects of our life force, the way we try to do psychologically when we train people, when we ask people to push beyond their uncomfortability, when we ask them to push beyond their blocks, scary as hell to move out of our comfort zone. That's where the real growth happens, right? Beautiful. I love it. Uh, Two things I wanted to say. First off, thank you for this. This is amazing. And I hope everybody's taking notes as well. Two things that you said. Number one, it was a question. You said, can we, and these are just my words, dance with that beautiful side where our lights connect and the the dark side? And I always say those are not rhetorical questions. That's a question that can be answered as a yes or no. And if somebody wants a better sex life, wants a better life all the way around, then that answer would be yes, because obviously, and, and I want to get into that here next, you have solutions to answer that question. Say, yes, my, like most people might be uncomfortable saying, yeah, I want to do that. That would be great, but I don't know how. Well, that's why Dr. Cheryl Frazier. The other thing is, is that you mentioned, and it is, it's true. I'm only a freak of nature. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Thank you. I'm only a freak of nature because I've conditioned myself to be that way. In other words, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I have the same kind of nervous system. And here's the difference. The reason I look forward to exercising, the reason I look forward to eating the right way that I do and all those things is because I made a practice of rewarding myself when I did it, even if I was uncomfortable. Because then that taught my nervous system to crave it. That, you know, that endorphin or dopamine release when I reward myself no matter what teaches me to go after it again. So I might suggest to anybody, and this is with anything, this is just one of my practices, with anything that you don't want to do, but you know you could, should, would, and want to do because it's going to better you, your life, and anything on the other side, even and especially when it's uncomfortable, reward yourself. Give yourself some praise. Hey, I did that. That was awesome. So at the end of that, because you said something earlier, and then I want to turn it over to you because you said that you were going to give us something to help us, that I always say to people that your level of uncomfortableness is an opportunity for you to A, break through it, but then condition yourself to make that uncomfortableness your norm. 
and make yourself crave that thing. So going into a night where you're going, ah, oh, you know, it's, you know, I, I love what you said at the end of that. Very rarely do people go, you know, I'm so, I, I, I'm, I wish I wouldn't have made love, you know, or, yeah, yeah. you know, but at the end of that, you know, no matter what, last thing, and then I promise I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> is, uh, what you said, which is really, really key to me, I think it's really important for people to hear again, and that is whether somebody reaches orgasm or not, whether somebody gets to that place of total satisfaction or not, and I'm assuming, I'm asking, that it is the process, the, the act, the actual engagement and touching and feeling and all of those things leading up to it, whether or not they get to that place or not, is not the, not the point. Exactly. Thank you. I have a brilliant colleague, a sort of an elder in the sex therapy field, Dr. Barry McCarthy, and he calls it good enough sex. Mm. And what he means is the process of touching eroticism, touching each other, whether or not you penetrate, whether or not either of you has an orgasm, you're awakening erotic energy. And just a brief shout out, because most people find this really intriguing. The traditional orgasm we're used to, I would call a traditional climax orgasm, zero to 10, you may play around in the mid zone. Zero is not aroused, 10 is ejaculation or female orgasm, clenching and, and release. That is for underachievers, my friends, for the very few people who choose to take their erotic life as a study of joy and and enhancing who they are. We can then move into tantric exploration Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where one can have a multiple orgasm. Male multiple orgasm is possible. It's just not well understood by the general public because of a whole bunch more myths out there. But that would be where we can play with our sexual energy. You get up here and then you bring yourself back. I'm sorry, I'm gesturing. You get up to say a seven out of 10 of arousal, 10 being where you would ejaculate. Then you bring your energy and stay there. You go up and down. It's like playing scales. I'm not a musician but playing scales up and down and you can keep that erotic intensity alive for minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes without necessarily having an orgasm and here's the thing that may blow some minds men and women can both have full orgasms without any touch at all that's mm-hmm. my orgasm in our sleep hello that's just simple facts. Almost all of us, including women, have orgasms in our sleep or woken up on the on the verge of orgasm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that wakes us up because you don't actually need touch. You don't actually need it, but almost all of us have conditioned ourselves to need it. So to your point, it is a dance and the idea, and thank you for the clarification, I'm using the shorthand term schedule sex as an activity I want sure, people sure. to do, but but much wiser would be to say schedule an essential or erotic encounter. Oh, and that. it might be, I'm going to tie you up and give you a glorious <laughs> erotic massage where I do not touch nipples, butts, or genitals. But I, how much can I turn you on by, you know, moving my fingertips along the inside of your elbows, suckling your toes, whatever, that, and then say, that's done. There's no orgasm. And if you're like raving to go there, it might be like, no, baby, we're waiting until next week. Exploring the depth and breadth. And oh my goodness, I know so few people that do this. And yet we explore the breadth and the possibility of so many other things that matter to us. And then people say, Joseph, my relationship, it's okay. You know, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. One of my most cringe, I loathe hearing that phrase. I love them, but I'm not in love with them means I don't understand how bodies and relationship work. And I expect and think I should feel now like I did in the first six months. Oh, honey, you are normal if you don't. Let's see what you can do to recreate. Not only, and I quit myself here, because I don't want to recreate what you had in the first six months. I want to 
uncover that similarity and take it further. Because you're probably not going to have a soul opening, depth, vulnerability, crazy, taboo, sexual encounter early in your relationship. You might have some of the best sex you've ever had, but probably you were holding your soul back because I didn't know you well enough yet. I wasn't ready to be 100% Cheryl vulnerable where you could crush me by rejecting me. Mm -hmm. Later in relationship, we can bring those together. Very few people do, but you and I are not in service of the common as your beautiful podcast title says, we're in service of the uncommon. I would love to make the uncommon relationship, the uncommon sexual relationship, the uncommon eroticism being the rare, the rarefied, the extraordinary, ordinary for couples. Well, doctor, you said, um, you and I spoke earlier that you had maybe uh, something that you could teach us, uh, leave us with that uh, we could maybe practice, we could do that would uh, help us go further faster. 100%. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to repeat one I've already given, and then I'm going to ground it in the whole relationship. Because I don't know if you've noticed, a brilliant romantic relationship is not all about sex. So we focused on that because it is a particular area of expertise. People are hungry for good, honest scientifically factored information in. But a great relationship obviously has other aspects. I'm going to briefly sketch out in two minutes the model I use. I call it the passion triangle or the three keys to passionate relationship. Think of a triangle. At the bottom, you've got the base. The three keys are intimacy, thrill, and sensuality. Now, intimacy here, I'm not talking about that word as a euphemism for sex. I mean emotional, psychological, soul intimacy. That encompasses all the regular stuff that most marriage therapy focuses on. How to communicate better, how to resolve conflict, how to take a time out when I'm about to say or do something really nasty because I'm flooded, I'm in my childhood terror, and I'm acting out for my subconscious patterns. So the programs I teach and when I work with couples, I always do a major foundation first in excellent relationship skills. Then we get into thrill. I've talked about that without using the word today. That's that excitement, interest, not marriage incorporated, but oh, honey, you're home and I'm so freaking excited to see you. You know, Joseph, I don't know, my friend, but do you happen to have a dog? And if not, have you ever met a dog? I have have a dog, yes. (laughs) Okay. What happens when you walk in the door? Well, I'll use my previous dog. This one here is is a little different, but my previous dog, as soon as I walk in the door, it's like I am long lost friend and he just, you know, all, even this one is, ice, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And I love to use that analogy because we can all relate to it. When's the last time people listening were in a romantic relationship right now? When's the last time your sweetheart walked in the door and you got up and ran to the door and acted like an excited dog? Wow. So there's an activity you can try right now. It's nice. going to blow your favorite mind if you haven't listened to this. But that was even a digression, but that's a piece of thrill, excitement, creating novelty. There's great research to show when you and I do something novel together, like go on a kayaking trip for the first time. My hubby and I just did that a few weeks ago. It makes us more attractive to each other. When we're doing something, great research by Don Dutton that uh, I won't go into it because we don't have time, but basically shows if I meet you in an exciting circumstance, even if you're my 20-year partner, I find you more attractive. So thrill is the second side of these three keys to passion. That's the one most couples need a ton of help with because we're in marriage incorporated. Not a lot of thrill or excitement right now. I love you, but you know, you're just my dude or my dudette or whomever you love. The third side is the sensual erotic side. So we got intimacy, thrill, and sensuality. I put that out there because I don't want to discourage people who are listening to say, we're not even ready to work on our our, our sex life yet, Dr. Cheryl. We're fighting. We're miserable. Uh What I do is I take you through all of it. So Mm -hmm. activity to review two I've just already given out. One, 
schedule erotic encounters at least once a week to start, ideally twice a week. That can be as simple as having a bath together and giving each other a fantastic foot rub, foot rub in the bath. But I like it to be naked. I like it to be erotic. And I like it to be where, of course, you don't talk about kids, work, taxes, or anything else. This is an exclusive sacred hour together once a week, ideally move up to twice. The second thing I just mentioned, as silly as it is, you know, Joseph, one of the things that I'm using in my life with my sweetheart, I told you this in our little conversation setting up this date today, is you teach something I love called assitude. And you teach people to change their state by shaking their ass. And my beloved and I adopted that as one of the ways we state change in our marriage. Mm -hmm. So if one of us, that would usually be me, is a little grumpy because he's a sweetheart. I'm more high maintenance. I'm sorry, baby. If I'm a little grumpy, he'll say, honey, shake your ass. And I'll often say, oh, piss off. But... But as I try to practice what I preach, I then stand up and I shake my ass and we're laughing, we're light. So my equivalent of that for relationship, for greeting each other every day after three, four, five, six, seven hours absence or whatever, act like a dog when your partner comes in. Do that every day for a week. You will laugh. You might even cry. Your dog's going to go, hey, that's my job. (laughs) A third thing. Grounding all this mainly focused on sexuality today, Joseph, I want to ground it in your overall relationship. I want to briefly share something I call setting a daily mindful, loving relationship intention. Don't worry about the phrase. It's described in my book. We go through it in detail in my courses. It's very simple. In the morning, most mornings, we did it this morning. My sweetheart and I, we have up to 30 minutes that we keep as sacred to just spend time in the morning before we scatter gun to our awesome days. And he's a coffee dude, like I could say snob, but I won't. Uh, he's got his whatever, hingy, bingy, Ethiopian, I don't know what, $50 a bean coffee going on. <laughs> and I'm a little bit of a tea connoisseur, don't care for the taste of coffee. I got my Darjeeling first flush steeped just the right amount and all that jazz. Tea snob. I am. I am. I own it. There's nothing wrong with appreciating excellence, my friend. <laughs> we sit down and we just did it this morning and we and we said, okay, what's your what's your relationship aspiration for today? Because my dear man is kind enough to do my own exercise with me. He's a special guy. And it, it takes two minutes. We sit and we each think of one activity, activity that we're willing to do today to enhance our relationship in any way. And then we share it with each other and we say, thank you. One of mine is I often return to one because I'm a work in progress and I've got a pretty expressive voice. And when I'm slightly impatient or annoyed, my voice isn't always very pleasant. Mm -hmm. So often I'll say, babe, today my aspiration is to work on kindness. And the activity is if I feel impatient or rushed or a little annoyed, I'm going to really try to use a warm tone of voice. And be careful with the words I use. Like, hey, babe, could we get going? We're running late. Instead of hurry up, for goodness sakes, we're going to be late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? The I'm downside of having a, a trained and expressive voice, right? So today, I'm actually going to share this. I didn't ask for his permission, but I know him well enough that I think he'll blush a little bit. He'll be okay if I share this. Today, because Monday night is one of our scheduled nights. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Just saying too much information. I said, babe, tonight, after you get home, I've got another podcast this afternoon. I said, at X, at X o'clock. We're going to have a steam shower together and I'm going to, uh, I'll clean it up a little bit, but take your penis into my mouth when we're in the shower and then we're going to go to the bedroom. And he's like, well, that's an awesome intention. (laughs) I like that intention. (laughs) So they're often very sweet. It can be as simple as today. I'm going to make sure I stop whatever I'm doing and give you a really deep three breath hug when you Mm -hmm. walk in the door. It can be tonight. I'm going to take you on out for dinner and we're going to talk about 
only us and what we want to do next summer. So daily relationship aspiration. Do not tell me you don't have time to do this because if you don't have time in the morning because you got little beings who need all your time, you could get up 10 minutes earlier. You could try to grab a shower together, do it in the shower, or you could even do it on the commute to work. One of you can put the other one on speaker, hands-free, safe, and all that good stuff and say, okay, baby, what's your what's your relationship aspiration today? You could even text it to each other mid-morning if you find it hard to do it in the morning. And then, as you know, if you don't measure it, you can't master it. So at the end of the day, check in, check in, takes 30 seconds. Oh, how'd you do with your aspiration? Hey, you're human. Some days you might forget, get swept up in the flow and not honor that intention. Then reboot, set, do again. So schedule erotic encounters. I dare you and please do send Joseph a photo he can send to me if you greet your partner like a dog today. Daily relationship intentions, making love intentional. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, I definitely could go on and on. And (laughs) (laughs) a couple things. First off, how do they find you? How do they, I'm going to put whatever you say, I'm going to put it in the uh, details here, but how do they find you? And I know you have programs. I know you have courses and seminars and things like that. If somebody wanted to indulge in (laughs) uh, going further with you, how would they do that? Excellent. Well, we'll start with that because I'm, I'm, uh, it's available right now this fall. We're recording in September 2020. If you're hearing this later, you can just join my list and you'll hear when the next one comes. But my signature program is an eight-week immersion training experience mm-hmm. for couples online. You get weekly recorded teachings, videos, and content, but you get weekly access to me live. I do about a 90-minute, two-hour extra coaching wow. Q&A with the couples every week because you're an educator. I'm an educator. You and I know that working live with people blows out of the water, anything else. Exactly. And in my career as a, as a sex and couples therapist, I've really seen couples fail. Uh, we won't get into the stats, but the stats on the success of marriage therapy are really poor. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's because it's not following the sort of model you and I are used to, which is immersive learning, mm-hmm. accountability, coaching, follow-up feedback, lots right. of exercises. Mm-hmm. That program's called Become Passion, Create Love That Lasts a Lifetime. And people can join that. I've got free two-hour workshop teachings coming up all month. Uh, we'll put a link, click below. They can sign up for those. And if they miss out this time around, they can go on the wait list for next time. But in general, I love to serve for free, as do you, as all of us do. Let's just help the planet. Uh, my mission is to awaken the planet one couple at a time, one mm. lover at a time. Nice. Uh, I send out weekly free little mini videos, five minutes or less. I call them love bites. You can sign up, get those sent right <laughs> in your inbox because we all need accountability and reminders. And often they have a tip or an activity in them. And for those of you wondering, man, how's our passion triangle? I, I think if you're in marriage incorporated, you've got strong intimacy and almost no thrill and very little sensuality. You can measure that. You can take a free quiz. We'll link into below my passion quiz. It takes under 10 minutes. And you can rate yourself. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Because if we're going to get there, we want to find out where we are right now. Set our intention. Make our plan for how to get there. But mainly you can just Google me, drcherylfraser.com, go to the website, say hi, send me an email, see how I can help. Beautiful. I love this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, all of the details will be in the description here below, as well as some other tasty things. Cheryl, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here. And I love what the last thing you said one relationship at a time. We've all got one. This is an area that's near and should be near and dear to all of our hearts. And so uh, first off, everybody, please follow this woman. Indulge yourself in what she does. She is not 
part of Tony Robbins and all these other amazing people because her stuff does not work. (laughs) She does that because she is the best in the field. So thank you so much. And remember, everybody, that life is exactly what you dare to make it, and fortune favors the bold. If you loved this, I know you do. Please like and share and pass this on and dare to make your life magnificent. Dr. Cheryl, thank you so much, and I will see you up the road. Thank you, Joseph. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Cure for the Common Life podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or any topic ideas you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at josephmcclendon.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the top.